You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast coming at you. I hope you are all doing well. I am Anthony Cazenza, as usual, joined by my co-host, John Sheeran. In the dog days of the quarantine, John, right in the middle of everything, uh, how are you holding up? Yeah, I just got a, a notification from Adam Schefter that said the Bengals are trading down from the number one pick for only a couple first rounds. They are trading, what was that? April Fools. Ah, mm-hmm. ah mm-hmm. I love it. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love mm-hmm. it. I, 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 uh, oh, you got me. You got us all, buddy. Um, <laughs> you thought, we thought we were going to break some news on here. Uh, gosh, my big joke was, hey, actually, we are going to take the air for two nights in a row. But, um, yeah, happy April Fool's Day, I guess. We got to have some form of levity these, this time, this, with all this going on, man. It's, uh, oi. A lot going on. A lot going on. Fortunately for the Cincinnati Bengals, it's been positive for the most part in terms of their offseason that's been going on with them. So we talked about quite a bit of that on a show we took the air with yesterday. We kind of did a mini episode. We we're kind of splitting up the show into two different, uh, two different nights, I guess, because we had quite a bit to talk about. Yesterday was the Drake Kirkpatrick stuff the Greg Mabin stuff, and we took some listener questions. Tonight, we're going to talk a little bit about a recent quote or a recent bit of news. We're doing a soundbite of the week with Ian Rappaport and Mike Brown surrounding the free agency period. We'll talk about that. We're also going to talk about some senior bowl prospects that we think now that free agency has kind of developed out of its infancy stages, some some prospects from the senior bowl the Bengals got up close and personal with that they could really be looking at in the next couple of weeks we also have a couple of specific 2020 prospects that will be going over in our 2020 prospect watch list so uh, still a lot to get to tonight but we hope you enjoy it regardless and uh as usual you can get this show on a number of different audio platforms really wherever you download your podcast you should be able to get this program, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, you hear me say it all the time. We're also on YouTube. Give us a subscribe if you can, if you will. Leave us a rating. We appreciate all of the support. We've seen a huge jump, John. I don't know if I've really shared this to you, but I probably should have shared it with you. We've seen a huge jump in terms of audio downloads, YouTube video downloads, really over the last month. So this fan base is really excited as to what the Bengals are doing this offseason. It seems like they like what we've been giving them in terms of content, be it Matt Minnick's Chalk Talk, our own shows, Orange is the New Black, all of those. So uh, I'm pretty stoked that the fans seem re-engaged again. 
Absolutely, man. I mean, that's kind of what happens when you spend $150 million in free agency. People want to talk about you specifically because you never have spent anywhere close to that in just one offseason. So a lot of stuff going on right now. And I'm, I'm actually kind of surprised because I figured, like, if nobody's doing anything, I don't imagine there would be a lot of people listening to podcasts. I feel like people just listen Maybe to that's podcasts. Part of it too. <laughs> Yeah, I guess, but you know, whatever. I'll take it. Yeah, but big, big jump in subscribers, big jump in audio downloads, big jump in YouTube downloads. Can't thank you all enough for joining us. And uh, whether it's live or after the fact, it's just it's really cool to see the engagement that we're receiving, and we we give you a big uh, virtual high five to all of you Bengal fans out there that that watch our programming. So, John, we've been doing this quite a bit over the past couple of months now, a soundbite of the week. We haven't been religious about doing it every single week, but we've, we've been doing it somewhat frequently. So we've got a soundbite of the week. Sometimes it's from Bengals folks that are associated with the club. Other times it's with, you know, media members, that sort of thing, talking about the Bengals. This is one that is probably near and dear to your heart because you also made a post about it on CincyJungle.com. I'm going to play the clip in just a second. So we're going to do that. But we're also going to talk about the possible, I don't know, whether you want to believe what's being said, to what degree you believe what's being said, you know, so a lot of our a lot of our folks have probably heard this clip by now. It's via Ian Rappaport. He was on uh, Total Access Live on the NFL Network talking. This was a couple days ago, talking about Mike Brown and the Bengals in free agency, their activity, and his involvement with the team uh, to this point. at the combine mike brown the owner who is still very much involved in day-to-day operations really still runs the show in cincinnati i am told that brown was in fact in the meeting with joe burrow it's basically standard for teams that are looking to take a top pick but still this particular one is noteworthy because there was so much media surrounding whether or not burrow did in fact want to go to cincinnati and of course he came out publicly and discussed that and said that he would but from what I understand, Brown wanted to be the one face-to-face who addressed any concerns that Burrow may have. He wanted to be the one to talk to the top prospect, lay everything out, and make sure that Burrow had all the information to make whatever decisions would be necessary. Meanwhile, the Bengals then went out and spent a ton in free agency. Very uncharacteristic, but no doubt this is something that Joe Burrow was watching pretty closely. So... Interesting stuff there, John. A lot of different routes we can cover with this. Uh, No pun intended with all the receivers running routes in that video clip, for those of you who watched the video live there. You know, for for a while, we we kept hearing that Mike Brown was, really in the later years, I guess we'll start here, really in the later years of the Marvin Lewis regime, we kind of heard rumblings that Mike Brown was, and, and really from him himself, right? That he was taking a step back from a lot of the operations. He was kind of handing the keys of the castle to Katie Blackburn, to Troy Blackburn, Duke Tobin, at the time Marvin Lewis, maybe now Zach Taylor. And, and now you hear that he, at least with this decision, was intimately involved and is still involved in 
uh, it sounded like some of the day-to-day stuff. Your take on that, do you how to what degree do you believe that and uh, you know, how is it how is this playing a part into what the Bengals are going to be doing in just a few weeks? Mike Brown is 100% involved in day-to-day operations. And if you don't believe that, I don't think you know who Mike Brown is because this guy loves the Bengals. He loves football. It's been a part of his life for the majority of his life. He has been working with or for the team for basically the entire for the entire life of this franchise. I remember when I met him for the second time this past summer, he was he was walking the halls of Paul Brown Stadium with Katie, with Troy, with his son Paul. He wants to be a part of everything that happens. He wants to see everything that goes down. Now, he may not be the main decision maker. He delegates all of that to, you know, Katie and and, and whatnot. But, like, he still wants to have a presence in all the decisions that happen. So, yeah, I I 100% believe that he has involvement. I think with this specifically, it was the fact that, you know, not not every media at the Combine has the owner involved in it. But, obviously, when a team is picking first overall, the main guys that you end up meeting with and whatnot – that is important to have some type of first-person communication between the guy who runs everything, runs the show and whatnot, and the guy who you're probably going to invest with the first overall pick. But we knew that Mike was in that meeting. That was reported directly after that meeting happened. I think Jeff Hobson of Bengals.com was the one who first broke that news. The things that he said to Burrow and the conversation that they had, I think that was more or less implied because it, it, it was possible that the Bengals saw this narrative forming about you know, Burrow not wanting to go to Cincinnati, Cincinnati being an organization that wasn't committed to winning, regardless or, or not, if they believe that or not. I think it was important to speak with Burrow face to face to have the guy who was going to be handing Burrow his, his contract, his rookie contract in a couple weeks to, yeah, to do exactly what Rappaport said, to just lay it all out there, to just be an open book, give Burrow a platform to, you know, ask any questions to address any concerns about not only the, the franchise and the team, but the city itself. I think, he wanted it to be as open as possible because th- this is a relationship that he would envision would go for at least 10 years or more because this is the biggest decision that they're going to make in the past 20 years or so. And I I 100% believe that Mike wants to be a part of that. And he wanted to make sure that there was no you know, misunderstandings about the relationship at all. So I, I think what Rappaport reported here was probably heavily implied after we learned that Mike was in that meeting in general, but it is nice to hear that this line of communication has been forming and there was openness on Mike's end to address any concerns that Burrow had. And whether or not Burrow had concerns about Cincinnati's inactiveness and free agency, whether that sparks what we saw the past couple weeks, I don't know. I don't know if if Burrow really has that that amount of leverage and what the Bengals ended up doing over the next 10 years with him or whatnot, but I would like to think so because if they take any outside influence to make them a more progressively run organization, I would be more than happy with that. It, it just happens that it, it took them in the position to draft a franchise quarterback to actually make that happen. So I'm, you know, I, I think this wasn't exactly groundbreaking news, but it was nice to actually hear it happen. Yeah. I suppose it wasn't groundbreaking news. I guess it was more, Oh, okay. Like you said, some of the things were, maybe previously reported. I want to go back to what you said there though. I kind of feel like maybe the team and Mike Brown had heard his name, that the team's name, the way they operate, everything was dragged through the mud for what seemed like a month, month and a half. 
in January and February, kind of saying, you know, this is just a rinky-dink franchise. Is he is Burrow going to pull an Eli Manning? Is he going to pull, uh, you know, John Elway and and sit out if the Bengals draft him? That sort of thing. I, you know, I think it's a pretty big move, pretty bold move by the owner. It's it, if there was an open dialogue there, kind of airing out certain things, and a lot of people don't know. By the way, this is occurring very close to my house. If you don't know. Or had been occurring close to my house, I guess I I should say. Yeah, Joe Burrow was working out with Jordan Palmer in the uh, the elite quarterback camp in the elite football camp that Jordan Palmer puts on in Southern California. So Jordan subsequently came out after some of Carson Palmer's comments, and those were taken and run with. He came out later and said, "Look, I'm I'm my own guy. I'm not Carson. I had my own experiences with the Bengals. Carson can say what he wants. You know, I'm not." using this opportunity working with Joe Burrow to kind of chirp in his ear, but you know, who knows exactly what's being said there. So I'm sure Mike Brown kind of saw everything in the landscape there and probably said, look, let's, let's talk about this. You've probably heard some different things, been asked certain questions by media members. How do you feel about this? How do you feel about potentially playing for this organization? Again, we weren't in that room, so we don't know the specific questions that were asked, but I would assume that if we want to put on our speculation hats, I would assume that those are some of the questions that Mike Brown presented to Joe Burrow and Joe Burrow being kind of the guy we've seen in press conferences, et cetera, probably gave him some pretty candid answers. Um, And being a guy from Ohio, knowing about the team, he probably gave Mike Brown some, some candid answers, maybe even answers the owner didn't want to hear, but needed to hear. I don't know, but there definitely was a seemingly a philosophical shift in the way they viewed free agency this year, as opposed to others, whether you want to credit Joe Burrow for maybe forcing a hand, I don't know, but I'd like to think something positive in, in terms of the way that the team has chosen to operate in these spring months has coming out of that, has come out of that meeting. It's just odd to hear because usually when we hear about combine interviews, it's very weird. The questions and the things that teams ask players to do and come up with on the spot is very unorthodox. And it's almost like they're just testing the reaction skills and their basic logic. So when we hear about prospects asking teams questions and that's being reported on, on you know, on national network, it's just odd to hear. And it should tell you a lot about how they feel about Burrow. If they're that concerned with, you know, his thoughts and his point of view about, playing for this team, then that should tell you a lot about what they think about him. And that should tell you about how much they value his opinion and his overall thoughts about joining this franchise, because the Bengals could be dead set on taking him, but if they're not on the same page in terms of where they want to go, then this relationship isn't going to last very long or work very well. So that should tell you a lot about how they feel about Burrow and why this isn't really a discussion in terms of who they're, what they're going to do with the pick. Right. You're, you're, you're correct in that assessment. And look, we, we can speculate all we want as to what was specifically said there, but it, it is an important step. Old Cincy Jungle friend Rebecca Toback responded to a tweet kind of saying, you know, maybe Mike Brown is not involved in every single day-to-day decision or every single meeting, that sort of thing. But this... The, the potential picking of a number one overall pick is not a normal day-to-day decision. This is a franchise-altering decision, hence why he 
was in on that meeting and and wanted to have this discussion. But you know what? It, it, kudos to Mike Brown. Really, uh, we we get on him a lot. We, we criticize him as a fan base a lot. But kudos to him for having this supposed candid conversation with a potential franchise quarterback and saying, let's let's if there are issues, let's get those out now so we don't avoid so we we don't entangle ourselves in a mess of a situation a couple of months from now. And, uh, you know, it seems as if, and, and granted, I don't think sitting out was ever going to be on the table anyway for Joe Burrow, despite what happened in free agency or what have you, but you got to credit the Bengals organization. You got to credit the owner for having this kind of proactivity really and get in and trying to address probably some of these things that were said in the media that Joe Burrow obviously caught wind of. Right. And again, like it, it, this was the meeting of just crossing the, crossing the T's and dotting the I's of what the pig will be at that time, two months from now, but this time just one month from now, like they've been dead set on him since the end, since before the end of the regular season, I think uh, Tyler Dragon of the Cincinnati Inquirer said that he's been atop of their draft boards since sometime in 2019. That obviously that obviously hasn't changed with the way the national championship played out, with the way that he's handled and carried himself th- throughout the offseason. There was nothing that he could have done at the combine that could have potentially made him a more attractive prospect. They've been dead set on this from the very beginning, and everything that we've heard from that it basically confirms it at this point. Right, and the other thing that Rappaport mentioned probably a couple of months ago when this meeting apparently came uh, came to pass um, not not a couple months ago I think it was at the combine but essentially Joe Burrow quote unquote blew the doors off of the interview and blew everyone away in that room and you know if there were any concerns from the Bengals end it seems as if he had quelled any of those concerns so that wasn't tacked on to this most recent video this soundbite of the week that we used but it is something to note that came from that meeting, but uh, interesting stuff nonetheless. And if you thought Mike Brown got out of the way this offseason, you might want to think that again, at least partially based on some of the stuff we've heard. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Cazenza. Get this show on a number of different platforms. Wherever you get your podcast, get it there. Get it on our YouTube channel. Get it at cincyjungle.com. Try and join us live for every recording here on our YouTube channel, as well as the Cincy Jungle Facebook page. We're seeing a bunch of people join us live. And thank you again for joining us two nights in a row. We had kind of a lot to cover over the, the this week, so we decided to take the air to, over the course of two nights and maybe break up the potential long, long one show that we would have had. So we thank you for joining us both nights there. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school 
that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Yeah, so Anthony, let's let's turn our attention to the draft. We've talked a lot about free agency these past few weeks because there was a lot to talk about, but there's still a draft that's actually happening on time later this month. So let's talk about what the Bengals could do after they take Joe Burrow. We got a question um, on Twitter from at Mo Alomar, and he's asking, do you think the Bengals have some advantages meeting and coaching players at the Senior Bowl? And which names from the Senior Bowl do you think they might consider? So this was a topic that kind of came up, I think, uh, from Adam Schefter, who reported that there were multiple GMs and scouts and coaches who were saying that the Bengals and Lions have this unorthodox, unfair advantage, I guess, this offseason because both those teams coach the senior bowl rosters and no other team is getting these opportunities to meet with players outside the combine. There are no pro day meetings. There are no in-face private meetings. You're hearing a lot of reports about players calling in via FaceTime. That's the only pre-draft visit that that they're able to do now because of everything that's happening. So you have the Bengals who had the chance to meet with, I think, 115 total players from both senior bowl rosters, and they obviously met with some of those players at the combine. So the Bengals and the Lions right now are the only teams that had the opportunities to meet with these players on more than just one occasion. And that that is that is an advantage. I think them having an opportunity to, to go down there and, and meet with the top seniors, like – that, that's something that Duke Tobin mentioned um, when we talked to him. That they, did, they didn't want to be in this position. They didn't want to be at the top of the draft order, obviously. But now that they're here, it, it is nice to have that extra access to these players. And they had an advantage even before, you know, the the what, what the, the pandemic that's happening kind of turned the, the whole sporting world on its head. That, that was already an advantage. That was already an extra meeting to see these guys firsthand in, and in person. So even before all this, that was, that was an added on advantage. But now it's even this this bigger and you know more crazier concerning the circumstances the advantage that they had so but in terms of players that they could actually target and that, that they you know early in the draft that they've already met i think one kind of comes to mind off the top of my akeem davis gaither the linebacker from appalachian state he was a dominant presence down there in the senior bowl um he, i think he only measured down there about 225 pounds and I believe he said he was trying to bulk up a little bit for the combine. Unfortunately, he did not work at, work out of the combine because I think he um, tested with some type of an injury there w- when he was doing the medicals. But I, I believe that you know the Bengals are going to be heavily invested in looking at these senior bowl rosters, seeing who they've already met with at, at times. But I think Davis Gaither gives them a, a chance to uh, attack the linebacker position with the body and a type of player that they don't really have on the roster right now. And something that a lot of people know is that Davis Gaither actually rushed the passer a lot at Appalachian State. Um, he, he was used as kind of like an overhang type of rover type player, but he was also on the line, on the line of scrimmage as well as a 34 outside linebacker that kind of rushed the passer. And he might be better suited in that off-ball role because his lack of size, and he's probably not going to have that much success rushing the passer at that size. But he does have that experience that the Bengals can kind of use in, in a versatile way because I think they want to emulate a lot about what Baltimore is doing in terms of having these position position lists second level defenders that could either rush the pass or drop back in coverage because the Ravens don't really have these true linebackers that that's kind of went away when CJ Mosley left for the jets. And I think that having a player like that who can 
be this unknown, unaccounted for box player who can do multiple things, but obviously is comfortable in space. I think that's, I think that's something that the Bengals are trying to invest in. And I think they, they also not only met him at the senior bowl, but they met him at the combine as well. So there's definite interest in there. I think he would have tested very well had he had been healthy at the combine. But I think that's a player to definitely watch for in, in terms of the Bengals attacking that linebacker position. If they don't get a guy at 33, definitely watch out for a Davis Gaither at a 30 or a 65 in the third round. Well, I was going to say at the beginning to, to your beginning point, I was going to say that the Bengals have a distinct advantage because of the, the lack of face-to-face meetings. But uh, I thought I was going to sound very smart, but apparently people much smarter than I have already mentioned that. So, but yes, I do agree that this is a distinct advantage for the Cincinnati Bengals, especially in how heavily they rely on their coaching staff as opposed to a scouting department in the scouting process. They, they really, they, because their scouting department is so much smaller than other teams, they really rely heavily on the coaches. Every team, obviously their coaches are intimately involved in the scouting process, but the Bengals really rely a, a bit more heavily on their coaches because of the small size of their scouting, their scouting department. I have, what I'm sharing with you here is the Senior Bowl roster. This is the South Squad that the Bengals have uh, that the Bengals coach. Now, obviously, they had access to uh, both rosters, players from both teams throughout the the week and everything. But they got to coach this specific team, so they they were a bit more intimately familiar with some of these guys. The, the guys that interest me, John, are some of these offensive linemen because the Bengals went so light as of yet in free agency on offense. Offensive line is still basically their biggest need, and they kind of swapped one guy for a, I wouldn't say similar player, but similar level of player in terms of John Miller to Xavier Suafilo, there's if there's an upgrade, it's a marginal one there. So you still have potentially a right starting right guard need. You should be on the lookout for if Jonah Williams is definitely your starting left tackle, which by all indications he is, you still should be looking at a possible either immediate or future replacement of Bobby Hart after this, after this uh, contract here. There may be some questions at left guard based on the vacancy that was left last year by Clint Bowling. I think they want to see Michael Jordan, Billy Price, somebody emerge there as, as the star. But some of these linemen here, John, that uh, really kind of jump out at me. You know, you mentioned these two that I'm highlighting right here, Logan Stenberg and John Simpson. Both those guys struggled in the senior bowl week per your notes. Mm-hmm. Ben Ben Barch was a guy we had for the, the team, I believe, in our first version of the mock draft. Uh, a guy that may, may be able to give you guard and tackle flexibility. Um, you know, those are these are some of the Lloyd, uh, Lloyd Cushenberry, a guy that Joe Burrow is very familiar with. Same with Damian Lewis, another interior offensive lineman. These are the guys that I think the, that the team would really be, be relying on this process for because those are the guys that, you know, they don't, you know, they, they've probably been so immersed in the Joe Burrow tape and, and other players, other skill position players they may be looking at. They really got an opportunity to dive in with some of these guys, get their hands dirty in terms of a coaching uh, coaching perspective. Jim Turner had his way. Now, unfortunately, a guy that really has a lot of varying 
reviews on him. Prince Tega Wanogo, I, I think he was hurt that week, so they didn't really get mm-hmm. a, a true look at him. Calvin Throckmorton was a guy they met with, and they seemed to they publicly said that they really like his versatility. He played all over the offensive line. Definitely a round six, round seven undrafted free agent guy, but a guy who could provide some versatility. You have uh, you know, some of these other guys here. Um, Alex Taylor, Terrence Steele, Tyree Phillips. Those are some guys I think that they they will use this experience to potentially catapult those guys into late picks, undrafted free agent opportunities. The other area I look, John, are some names we've mentioned on this show before, but uh, you know it, it depends on how you how you look at some of these guys. Uh, these edge players here, you you know, you've got Anthony Jennings. Uh, he's not an edge guy. He's more of a linebacker, but an Alabama guy. The other guy, Terrell Lewis, a guy who's kind of could be an edge rusher guy, but they've tried him out as an outside linebacker as well. A guy who's who has been mocked to the Cincinnati Bengals, not only by our show, but by Jeff Hobson in a recent mock in the second round. A guy they seem to probably like at potentially the number 33 spot. And then you've got a guy who's really interesting, Javon Kinlaw, a guy a lot of scouts really like, defensive tackle out of South Carolina. He could be a guy that they also look at. So I've said a long, I've said for a while now, this this is a meat and potatoes draft that probably has changed a bit based on what they've done in free agency. I don't know that defensive tackle is necessarily a need now, at least a, a pressing need with DJ Reader in the mix and cornerback, you know, off the table. So. It may also be an offensive heavy draft, uh, but I think that they will use this experience for some of those trench guys that they look to shore up. I think they still need an edge guy, a rotational pass rusher, and I think they do need at least some interior offensive line help. Yeah, and unfortunately, Kinlaw is not lasting to the second round. I think the right. week that he had the Senior Bowl is confirming he's probably going in the top fifteen. I right. can't believe you didn't mention your. I can't believe you didn't mention your guy, Michael Pittman. Well, because I feel like the, the, these these receivers in in the Senior Bowl, there's two that come to mind: either Pittman or Denzel Mims, who blew everybody away at the combine. I think the fact that they saw them down there gives them a, a very high chance to be potentially the pick at 33. I think a lot of people may think that you know that's a little bit too rich for Pittman, but the more the more I look at him, the more I study him, the more I wouldn't necessarily mind it. I, I think the fact that he tested so well at that size and the way that he plays, that he can high point the ball and his body control, and he just plays a lot bigger than you would expect for a guy like that size. I think that's a, I think that's a player that can be really valuable in an offense that's quarterbacked by Joe Burrow. So, hats off to you for for um, bringing him to my attention a, a lot quicker than I, I would have imagined. But I think the receivers of the Senior Bowl definitely are, you know, all absolutely on the Bengals' radar for these reasons. Yeah, and per per your reports. Uh, you know, these are these are guys that really stole the show in Mobile. This position group really stole the show, both not only for this this South roster that we have here, but also the North team, which I think Pittman was actually a part of the North team. But you know, Mims and Pittman and and all of you know, uh, Van Jefferson looked good. Duvernay looked pretty good at times. Brandon Ayuk was yeah. a guy was a guy who impressed some people. And again, you could probably get a guy in round four, round five that should be a pretty good player, a a, a you know potentially a Marvin Jones type of get on day three from a team. And 
Pittman is a guy who has slowly risen, I think, over the course of a couple of months. I think most people, when they saw him, eh, maybe he's a guy who's a day, a late day three guy, mid-day three guy, six-round pick, see what happens. And I think they said instead of just being a big guy who maybe catches – who runs just go routes or does the jump ball thing, he actually ran a bit of a complicated route, route tree in a pro-style, pro spread-style offense at USC. And – you know, he can do a couple of different things. He ended up testing well. He looked good at the Senior Bowl. That is a guy that I think now is in third round, just high third round discussion. Um, but, you know, some of these other names that you've mentioned and that are listed there, I think that those guys are also going to be night two discussion type of guys, early early day three. You know, your your Iukes, your Pittmans, your Chase Claypool, that sort of thing. These are all guys that – um, really, because of the depth of the position, y- you can get a good player deep into the draft. So, yes, I, I didn't want to overly gush about Pittman, I guess, but he is a guy that is really rising up in that group, um, a guy that probably I, I would assume would be gone by the third round in, as as we get nearer and nearer to the draft. Right. And you know, as for Denzel Mims, who's a guy we talked about yesterday and comparing him to Justin Jefferson out of LSU, um, the senior bowl was really the start of his uprising because there were a lot of concerns about him coming out of Baylor, whether or not he'd be able to separate on just more than just a slant and a go route. And he took those senior bowl cornerbacks to school. And he, I think, had the highest win rate according to pro football focus when they charted the whole senior bowl practices for whatever reason that they had. Um, and then he took that momentum into the combine and ran a sub four four forty and jumped out of the building in Indianapolis. So, like a guy like Mims is is definitely somebody that the Bengals should be interested in in terms of the skill set that he brings. Just like Pittman, he can go up and get any ball that's thrown at him. He can handle those back shoulder throws, and I think the proficiency that he showed in terms of running, you know, not only just a slant and a go route and a dig, but all these different routes with some nuances in terms of breaking off at certain points and utilizing, you know, head fakes and flipping his hips in terms of getting out of breaks, all those subtle nuances that go into route running. I think that's very, that was very important for teams to see that in person because at his size, 6'3", 212 or 208, to be that fast and to be that agile, that's, that's an asset that doesn't last very long in the draft. There's a reason why I believe Ben Albright, the NFL insider, has said since the beginning of March that he's probably not leaving the top 20. So that was a meteoric rise in terms of his draft stock, and at, at this point, like he's a he's a favorite for the Bengals for Bengals fans to to mock at the thirty third overall pick. But that Senior Bowl was definitely the start of his uprising. But if he's there at thirty three, something must must have happened in the first round. But the Bengals should absolutely be all over him in, in that scenario. Yeah, I think before we get to our our the prospects we're honing in on, which by the way, for me at least, this is a, a, going to be a good segue, but. I mean, you look at this list here of of the North team that the Lions coached. You've got Pittman, you've got Mims, you got KJ Hill, an interesting player there as well. Gandy Golden is is one of, another guy that really kind of is a big body, can run well, can catch well, but he's just a small school guy. So he's an interesting guy that could be there on day three. Um, Claypool, I mentioned. I mean, so just talent galore on both of these rosters at that position. So. I still think that the Bengals probably by round three will get a wide receiver, and I think that that is a is a wise move. I mean, you've you, I, I'm glad, and it was the right move that they brought back AJ Green. But you've got both short term and long term 
questions there. You've got long-term questions about John Ross being, being on this team past next year. You know, you're still trying to navigate how big of a contributor Alden Tate can really be. You know, is he an every down wide receiver? Is he a guy that you can be a go-to type of guy or is he more of a third down red zone guy? You know, Tyler Boyd's here for for the foreseeable future, so you're pretty good there. But there are questions, and I think that this team needs to needs to feel comfortable and get a guy that they can lock up for the next four years, and they can feel comfortable trotting out there and and being a guy they can be be confident in getting 60, 70, 80 catches in this system, along with Boyd potentially AJ Green or or be the the heir apparent to AJ Green. So. I think wide receiver has to be addressed by by the end of night two. Absolutely, and and even even if it wasn't as pressing of a need as it clearly is for the reason that you just said, it's the strength of the draft class. And I and yeah. I think back to 2014 when the Bengals chose you know Jeremy Hill, Will Clark, Russell Bodine, second, third, fourth round selections. They waited until round seven to pick a receiver in that class, and James Wright, who only lasted about three years with the team. That wide receiver class, you can look it up on Pro Football Reference. It is just filled with guys who are still in the league that became long-term starters. Yep. I think Devontae Adams is a great example in the second round. There were a couple other third-round options as well. But obviously, top-heavy with Sammy Watkins and Oda Beckham. It was a, an amazing wide receiver class that the Bengals just did not take advantage of. And they ended up paying the price for it because both Mohamed Sanu and Marvin Jones left two years after that. So it's not the exact same situation. But this is, again, this is the strength of the draft class. You have a future and an immediate need at that position. There's no reason why you shouldn't attack it. Right. So let's get into the 2020 prospect watch. Do you want to go first, John, or, or do you want me to go first? I'll go first. Sure. Why not? Go for it. All right. So we're going to stick, or I think we're both going to stick on the receiver theme, Yeah. but I'm so going to start <laughs> with my receiver. Yeah. Uh, he was not at the senior bowl because he actually just turned 21. He was an early, entry into the NFL draft, and he's a guy that a lot of people do like, specifically Bengals fans. It's just that his 2019 season left a lot of bad taste in everybody's mouth, and then he had a very interesting combine performance as well. I'm talking about TCU's Jalen mm-hmm. Rieger, um, a guy that I I love for a lot of the same reasons that I love John Ross coming out. Um, same height at 5'11", but he's actually 20 pounds heavier, 206 pounds, and that makes a difference when you contextualize his his combine numbers because at the combine he ran like a 44740 he was projected to be under 44 somewhere in the 43s and i think he had like a 7263 cone now the 7263 cone it can't really be justified even at that size but when you talk about density in terms of comparing that to the actual numbers he actually ended up with uh, an 84.86 speed score according to um james coburn's um methodology of contextualizing athleticism and that 84.86 speed score it's still in the obviously in the upper echelon of comparing speed to everybody else but those he had i think well over an 11 inch ver- uh, broad jump and a well over a 40 inch vertical he actually tested the 99th percentile in terms of explosion for his size so if that speed didn't exactly translate to the 40 yard dash you know that that speed is real when you put on the pads because people who are that explosive are usually end up being that fast. And I think it's the same. It was the same thing with John Ross. He ran a 4-2-2-40, and he had, I think, almost the exact same uh, um, jumps as Jalen Rieger did at the Combine. But not not only were the questions at the Combine that can be ironed out, 
There was also questions about his uh, about his production in his last year at TCU. He ended up with, I think, PFF's lowest percentage of catchable targets thrown his way in 2019. The quarterback play there was absolutely atrocious. So you really have to judge him based on what he did in 2018. Now, mind you, in 2018, he was a 19-year-old just so- sophomore at TCU, a true sophomore there. And at 19 years old, he ended up with a 92.84 production score in terms of just measuring market share against strength of schedule. So the production was definitely there when it actually mattered. And I reached out to my friend at PFF, Austin Gale, to give me some numbers about um, in terms of drop rate and contested catch percentage because he was marked in terms of just 2019 numbers with a drop rate of 13% and a contested catch rate of just 42%. The drop rate is well below college average and the contested catch rate is just about average. In 2018, when he had actual sustainable quarterback play, his drop rate was just 6.3% and his contested catch rate was 48.8%. Both of those are above average. So I think you look at his overall profile and what he does well, he's an incredibly explosive route runner. He changed direction easily. At, at 5'11", he actually has a decent wingspan. And he can actually high point balls. He's got much better balls or ball skills and body control than John Ross does at the catch point. So he brings a lot of the same things that Ross does, but he is just a slightly more better player, more all-around player. He brings that same athleticism. I wouldn't invest too much worry into the 40-yard dash. I think he just plays faster than that. And when he did have decent quarterback play, he was productive. I think that if he's there at 33, he's 100% in the conversation. I think a, a smart team who needs a receiver that's drafting somewhere in the 20s should take a chance on him. But if they don't, I think he brings a lot of, of useful assets to what this offense can be. So you believe that uh, – by the way, I hate to I hate to correct you, but I only know this from a tweet he sent out. I believe it's – he pronounces his last name, I think, Rager. I don't know. I don't know if that's accurate or not. But I'm, I'm so I would have gone. I would have gone with Ray, Rieger or Rager myself. But I think I nothing think, I said matters anymore. Oh, put on that flamingo hat again. No. Um, so you think he is a viable option at 33 for the team if he falls there? Absolutely, 100. percent I think with his production, his athlete, his athleticism, the fact that he's only 21 years old, so he can absolutely become better. Uh, there's just a lot of skills that can translate into the NFL. And I think you're t- when you talk about a tangible potential that a player can reach, we're talking about someone who could be a, a definite high quality starter. Yeah. It, he's an interesting guy because he's, he's a little bit lost in the shuffle of some of these other names. I mean, he, he kind of had some early hype and then it kind of died a little bit, but he still has to be in that round one, round two discussion because of some of the skill sets that he brings in, He's one of those guys that, like I said, kind of got the early hype. It faded a little bit because of some others rising and everybody finding out the depth of talent in this class at that position. And then it's kind of buzzed back up again. So it's interesting. It's going to be interesting to see where he actually ends up, but uh, definitely should be on the topic of, or should be on the table for discussion. Should he land, uh, be available at 33? There's probably going to be a lot of different options for the Bengals. The guy I'm going to talk about, I don't, I don't believe he's going to be an option at 33. He might, but I, I, I think I'm thinking more around three or four for uh, this young man. I'm going to. I said his name earlier, Chase Claypool. I'm going to look at. Uh, I'm, I'm going to look at him this week for the 2020 prospect watch. 
wide receiver out of Notre Dame, a guy who really just kind of jumped out of the gym, right, at the at the combine. Uh, did some things at the did some things at the senior bowl and and you know got got acclimated there but i think once they saw the workouts i think it, it's prompting teams to go back and look at some tape with this kid to me this is a very very similar situation to a dk metcalf both in how they worked mm-hmm. out the size all of that now Unlike DK Metcalf, he didn't go into the combine as like this, you know, oh, he's going to, this guy's a freak. It, it kind of came to light a bit as the the combine came about. Some people thought he should bulk up John and play tight end at the next level. There was some talk of that. And I, I was like, wow, okay. But this kid, you see the numbers I put on the screen, uh, close, to, uh, you know, 4.42 40 uh, yard dash time. Broad, huge vertical jump, broad jump, 6'4", almost 240 pounds. He's probably going to lighten up a bit, uh, you know, playing at the next level. But just a freak. The issue is lateral movement, as it was with DK Metcalf. The issue is, you know, is he just a one-trick pony? Is he going to be a guy that you just kind of throw slants and go routes to? And if he is like DK Metcalf, by the way, DK Metcalf had a pretty good rookie year. And you can go back to some of the plays he made against the Bengals in week one, if you really want to look at that. He he was kind of a red zone guy. He was able to, to make some plays with Russell Wilson being able to ad-lib in the pocket. Oh, yeah, that's also something Joe Burrow's pretty good at. So this could be a guy round three. Maybe if he falls to the top of round four, you didn't get a wide receiver in the first three rounds for some reason. If he's still there, this this could be your guy. Very similar in terms of, you know, big bodied, prototypical size, I guess, for a wide receiver. Great speed. But we've seen guys like this where these these analytics of the shuttle, the cone drill, lateral movement, scouts, you know, early 2000s, mid 2000s, they didn't look at that. They saw a big kid who ran fast in the 40 and they just said, to hell with it this this guy's this guy's going to be a great wide receiver but it never panned out because he was too limited in other facets i worry about that with this guy john but overall this could be a dk metcalf type of player if everything works out the the, the questions with metcalf should have been about the fact that he wasn't productive at Ole miss and the fact that he was he was with a group of receivers who were talented i think demarcus lodge who's now at the Bengals, was one of those guys and like Brown, right? Yeah, exactly. Who ended up having a great rookie year with Tennessee. Right. Like Metcalf had the athleticism to translate into the NFL because you saw that speed and that explosion on tape at Ole Miss, even if he wasn't used that much. With Claypool, like these numbers were completely out of the blue because you didn't see that speed and that explosion the other day. I actually watched a little bit of Claypool today, and he, and he just looks like a tight end out there. He looks like a tight. He looks like a big tight end playing out wide because. You don't. You want to see more of that speed. You want to see more of that explosion. You have to think if you know Notre Dame just didn't want to utilize it that much. If they wanted to feature more of Cole Komet, who was the tight end who might go in round two or three out of Notre Dame, you, you wanted to see more out of Claypool because obviously these numbers came out of completely nowhere. No one expected him to test this well at this size, and you just wonder if this is just a situation where guys end up training a lot harder for the combine right. and end up testing a lot a lot better than what they actually perform on the field. I think. 
the upside of Claypool is definitely there because unlike DK Metcalf, he was productive in their name. I think he ended up producing somewhere in the 71st percentile, which is just above that, that starter slash Pro Bowl level, according to Coburn's data. Um, so that that's fine with me. Obviously, the, the numbers speak for themselves in terms of what explosion speed can be there. It's just about getting in there because he's also he's also young. I think he's only 21 years old and he's not turning 22 until later this year. So there's still a, a, a trajectory for him to become better than what he is now. But like you said, that third to fourth round range is probably more accurate because I wouldn't expect a DK Metcalf type impact his rookie year because he's just not there yet as a receiver. And you want to think that he can put all that athleticism together because you're right. Like it does matter to have that sense of flexibility to, to be a precise route runner, but you can win in other ways as a wide receiver. You don't need to be a complete all around great athlete to have success. There have been many cases where you just really need one um, elite athletic trade or one above average athletic trade. And Claypool has two in his size and in his speed and explosion. And if he can, maximize that in the coming years he can be a great value pick it's just a matter of how you plan on using them early and how you plan on unlocking that athleticism right and the the issue with a lot of these players and guys like a claypool that you would take late day two or late night two early day three there there are flaws and there are concerns i mean you know there are there the production the tape something isn't matching right you look, though, at Claypool's production, uh, I think he had a fairly productive he did, sen- yeah. senior year here. Yeah, uh, I mean, you look at it, and it's it's a fairly productive senior year, but there are just, like you said, is he, is he more of a, a tight end-ish, an odd-and-tate guy that – or at least an early Auden Tate guy, depending on what we see from Tate this year. But, you know, third down, occasional deep ball, jump ball, red zone guy, or can he mold into more of an every down type of wide receiver? Can he match Can he match production with, with the workouts, the body size? You know, there, the other thing is in, in college – and Notre Dame's schedule isn't always the the heftiest, the meatiest in terms of who they play because they're an independent school. But, you know, when you're 6'4", 235 as a wide receiver slash tight end or what have you, you can kind of bully college defensive backs around, college linebackers mm-hmm. around because you're the biggest, you're the, the fastest guy out there. Is that, you know, you can maybe get away with sloppy technique at times just because you're bigger and or faster than most of the people out there. That's not necessarily the case in the NFL, and I think that's where some of the, the concerns are stemming with that. You know, is he going to be able to to use that same bulliness, that big body, to create plays in the NFL, or will the superior athletes in the pros be able to to harness him in a little bit? Right, and again, like I, I there's definite value in how you test at the combine because that stuff does translate, but not every elite athlete who tested the combine ends up being that elite athlete in the NFL. Not everyone can utilize that to their strengths. I will say about Claypool, what he does do well right now, because like you said, he's, he's basically like a Mustang running. Like no one's going to take him off of his route, or at least that we've seen in college, how that translates into the NFL. I don't know early on, but I think what he does bring the Bengals can utilize early, early on. I think they will be valuing a guy who has body control, who has spatial awareness on deep balls, a guy who can adapt to those back shoulder throws that Joe Burrow loved to throw at LSU. I think that's 
that that would be right up of Claypool's alley as a guy who did have a lot of those those deep ball chances a lot of times where you can also have some yards after catch opportunities. So I think for the Bengals should be looking forward to a receiver, even though a guy like Rieger is, is enticing. A guy like Claypool does bring a skill set that I think they would have a lot of use for early on. And again, if if all else goes well and AJ Green and John Ross stay healthy, the receiver that, that they do draft early on maybe not be used as much. Maybe it would be like the, the, the third or fourth option at best if everybody stays healthy. But this system will require at least four capable bodies at any given moment, and you cannot rely on Green and Ross to stay healthy at this point until they've proven otherwise. So if all else goes well, this is the receiver that they end up drafting. Hopefully doesn't have to start until 2021, and that's a route for Claypool as well because you, you may not expect him to haul in you know, 40 to 50 passes in his rookie year. So if that's the case, it, it, this is a good fit for him to develop into what he can be. But at the same time, there are some assets that you can utilize early in his career as well. So, 116 catches the past two years combined, 66 of them last year, about seven, uh, 16, close to 1,700 yards the past two years, over 1,000 last year, a 15.7 average yards per catch last year, 13 touchdowns last year, 17 total the past two years. So, definitely made a big jump as a senior in terms of production but uh, the reception numbers were there the past couple of years. Like you said, John, the good news about any of these wide receivers, the Bengals potentially opt for in a few weeks. It's not as if, Hey, we need you to start day one. And unless something catastrophic happens to AJ green, John Ross, knock on wood again, before the season begins, really it's these guys can take a little time to develop. They can, they can groom these guys into more higher profile roles that could be coming down the pike in 21 or 22. So that's good news for any of these guys, whether it's Rager or Claypool, Pittman, whoever it may be, whoever it may be. But those are our two guys for the 2020 prospect watch list. We've compiled a large, large list. I guess we should probably have that list on file and share it with, with everybody as we continue to do that. But if you basically go back through episodes, I think through late 2019 up until this point, you can find a number of different prospect watch uh, players on the prospect watch list that we've covered. And not only just us giving our vantage point for some of them, including the big three quarterbacks, we brought in outside folks from within the SB nation network to help us preview them. So we hope you've enjoyed that. We'll probably do this for, Another week or two. And the other thing, John, that we're going to do, not tonight, obviously, because of time and whatnot, but shortly before the NFL draft, we'll give our our final mock draft Mm -hmm. of the show, our third version, which will be our our final version. We We don't do them every... I don't know. We're not trying to over inundate people with mock drafts, but we do put some time into them and we, we want to give you one more before the, the big event in just a few weeks. So we will do that probably maybe the, the night before, if we take the air the night before, um, we'll probably get it then. Probably the most accurate one. Yeah. 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 So we'll probably get it to you there and do it in a similar format in which we've brought you those before. Let's drop the mic and get out of here, John. What do you got for us before we take off? Uh, shout out to show or wow, shout out to friend of the show, James Rapine, who just announced on Twitter that he's coming back home to Cincinnati to cover the Bengals for Sports Illustrated. He was in Cleveland for I think the past two years covering the uh, Indians and the Cavaliers, but he was also doing some Browns work with 
them. He's working for a radio show up in Cleveland. I was covering sports. So Rapine is coming back to Cincinnati. He's coming back just in time to see John Ross in the final year of his contract. He's the biggest John Ross fan that we know of. So congrats, to James, on another career move for him. You took, you stole my thunder. You took it and you ran what? it. That was yours. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 totally it's all good. But I echo your sentiments, and we'll get him back on the once he gets his feet planned. He's up in the his head's up in the clouds right now. I'm sure he's probably pretty stoked at the opportunity and well deserved. James does a great job. He has been on this show a couple of times, most recently to help us preview the Browns games with the Cincinnati Bengals. So. Uh, we'll get him back on once he kind of gets his feet planted in, in not only his new job, but once we all kind of get through this entire situation we're all dealing with, but we'll have him back on, but well-deserved, uh, a good friend of this show and, and previous shows I've been a part of. He's a, he's a great guy and a fun interview. So looking forward to having him back on the, on the Bengals beat. And, uh, if you follow him on Twitter or what have you, give him a little congratulatory, wave or text or whatever however you want to get in touch with them do it that way and uh, well deserved for james as i mentioned earlier you can get this show on basically any type of podcast platform that you listen to so search for cincy jungle and not only will you get the orange and black insider podcast on the cincy jungle channel you can also find oranges the new black from ace boogie and zim Hude, as well as chalk talk the episodes from matt minnick all of those are on our uh, YouTube channel as well. So check out all of the, that content. We appreciate the massive uptick in downloads that we have seen. I mentioned that at the onset of the show. We appreciate all of the interaction. Uh, we appreciate you guys tuning in live, tuning in after the fact. We do see, by the way, we do see these questions, you guys. We're not totally ignoring you. We do see the questions that you submit in the live chat just for, for certain time purposes and other reasons we can't get to all of them we do try and have some other listener questions show we do take note as you as you heard john tonight talk about a question that prompted our our prospect watch segment you know we we keep tabs on these things and we we kind of stash them in our pocket so if we don't get to yours try not to be angry with us or discouraged or whatever. We try and get to as many as we can and try and join us for the listener questions live when we do those. We'll probably do another one. I would say next week we'll probably be continuing to do those, especially as the draft continues. We'll be bringing you more interviews with folks as well. So uh, we're setting those up, lining those up. We're pretty excited about some of the names we have been speaking to. So we'll get those to you. And uh, we just can't thank you enough for continuing to tune into this show. Right, John? Absolutely, man. And I'm, I'm glad that, we can provide an outlet or not an outlet, but just a distraction for what's, for what's going on. This seems like business as usual for us because you know, what's, what's happening isn't really affecting how we do this because this is in our homes and whatnot. And, but um, I'm glad that we can, we can provide some normalcy on a weekly basis on a weekly basis. Well, I cannot talk right now. Um, glad we can provide some normalcy on a weekly basis to you guys as we all get through this together. Yeah, someone just quickly, someone I saw on, I think they made a comment maybe on our YouTube channel or or maybe it was Facebook, I can't remember, but basically saying you guys seem so much more uh, energized or uh, just more passionate right now. I, I guess, you know, to be, and I, I hope that's not an indictment of us in terms of our previous shows, but 
you know, this is kind of an exciting time with this team. You know, they've got the number one overall pick. How they got there absolutely sucked. But they've got the number one overall pick. They've got high picks. It's the second year of a new head coach. They spent a ton of money in free agency and did stuff that they never normally do. So there's a lot to talk about. It does, I think, I think it's permeated through the entire fan base in terms of what they've done and what's set to happen in a, in a few more weeks here. So it's, it's despite the other stuff that's happening in the world, this is kind of an exciting time for the Cincinnati Bengals. And we've got a lot to talk about even more to talk about in the next month or so and, and beyond. So looking forward to it. Everybody have a great night. Have a great rest of the week. We'll talk to you soon and uh, we'll see you next time. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.